Welcome to Teeth and Titanium, a podcast about oral surgery, residency, and life. We would like to thank the Canadian Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery for their continued support. All opinions expressed in this podcast by the hosts and their guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the CAOMS. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for surgical decision making. Welcome everyone to Teeth and Titanium episode 36. This is our October 2023 episode. I'm so used to saying Oscar, how's it going? But I guess now I have to say like Oscar and Brad, how's it going? It's crazy. Like I signed on today because I wasn't at, well, we'll talk about what I wasn't at, but then I see Brad with this high tech mic and I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> he's going to say three yeah. words. And then I realized, you know what? He's part of it. Can can we start off with that, Brad? Well, can you want to update the, the listeners on your fancy setup that you have going on here? I feel like your headphones are improved. I don't see any wires from those. He looks look so legit. It's crazy. I don't see wires from that headphones, and I also see this like microphone hanging from the ceiling. What's going on, Brad? Can you update us? Well, I realized that my audio has been terrible, so I asked you, and I upped it to what you guys use. It just it's on the yeah, this guy. No, 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 it's, it's not what we yeah, use. Because yeah. if no, you look at like if people could see a screenshot of our show right now, me and Wendell have like Apple headphones in the ones with the wire. <laughs> you, our mic you can't really see because it's on our desk. This guy looks like he's in a recording studio. Yeah. Like if Drake popped out of the back, I'd be like, yeah, he's in a recording studio. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did, did, Brad, did you sell one of your two boats to fund this microphone? <laughs> I did. <laughs> the sailboat is gone. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah. He sold the, like, yeah, the sailboat. That was the third one, Wendell. The, the free one. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, no, I'm, I'm glad. It means he means he feels the need to up, upgrade his quality. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Now, now people will be able to listen to him more. We recorded recently with a very well-known person. Teaser. We won't say who it is, but we need yeah, a good yeah, setup. No spoilers, so Brad. I no, brought we need it. A good setup to impress I them. brought the setup because you were flying. Yeah. So, okay. You know what? Well, Fine. You get even more credit for that. You were watching to, out for the for the show. It to is. be fair, Brad set up this room to record with this highly auspicious guest who will not be named because no spoilers. And you walk in the room, Oscar, and picture like beautiful room. You know, at conferences, when you have that water jug in the middle with the glasses yeah, and you can like help yourself yeah, yeah. that, you got this beautiful microphone hanging down on the table. Like it's so, it looks like you're in a recording studio. Mm-hmm. And then there's this random bottle of tequila in the middle. And you're like, how did that get there? That was well-placed. <laughs> also left well over yeah, from right. Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, let's get into our current events. So the first thing we want to talk about is unfortunately the current event that our buddy Oscar here missed out on. We went to the Zygoma course yeah, hosted good. by the Quebec Society and Brad and I were there. Oscar, you know, he was too busy to come. He said he already knows too much about zygomatic implants. There's nothing left for so, him to learn. So, so this is an absolute lie. That was completely made up. It's like, a, I have a five. When this guy tells me you're going to have a kid, your life's going to end. And now I'm getting razzed that I didn't go to yeah. a course. That I, no, I you're only getting razzed because... You were the one that said, my life's not going to change. I'm still going to do everything I did. I'm not going to any more courses or any less courses. That's not change. Yeah, I guess I guess you're more of a minimum CE required. Yeah, like, like, what's the limit I got to get to? <laughs> but no, I did hear from actually from a bunch of people. I wasn't there personally, but I heard, and you guys will speak on it. I heard it was really, really good. Yeah, we had a great time. Brad can speak on his experience because he's a little bit more advanced in his career. But for me, you know, when you go to a course, 
especially when you go to a course with just oral surgeons, you want them to speak at a high level. Mm-hmm. You don't want like the mumbo jumbo at yeah. the beginning. You, and you the want filler. like really, yeah, you want really detailed descriptions of technique and like actually how do you yeah. physically do this? So I really like the thought process. I really like the technique, but mostly, honestly, it was great being invited by the Quebec Society. We got to see a ton of the Quebec surgeons. A ton of them came up to us, Oscar, and they were raving about the podcast. Oh, they were awesome. saying, we listen to every episode. We love it. It's been great. We joke about it in the OR. My residents talk about it. Like we actually got That's a great. really, really high level of feedback about the podcast. And it was, it was commonly a discussion topic at the bar, at the dinners, at the event. So oh, I really, really enjoyed the course. Things. <laughs> we should have FaceTimed you in. Yeah. But that's how I felt. Brad, what did you think? Well, I introduced myself as Oscar, so I'd be a little bit more popular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought it was you great. Brought, you brought the mic, though, so it was okay. I did. Yeah. I was just like, I'm just the help here. <laughs> no, it was great. Seeing we, some, would, uh, we would commonly introduce Brad as, you know, Brad, the producer, like, yeah, like, that's Brad. You're meeting him. He's a real person. <laughs> he exists. No, it was great. I think there was a really good turnout. You know, I got to meet some, some of your colleagues from Ontario. And then there was some Shannon Davis from Newfoundland. It was great oh, to nice. see. So yeah, it was, it was mm-hmm. a really good turnout. And the one thing I liked about it was the hands-on, really getting a chance mm-hmm. to sit down with the guy and see how he does it and feel, you know, that was mm-hmm. very beneficial. Yeah. There was 50 people there. I think oh, they, they, wow. sold, they sold out, I think once they opened it up to Canada and you know, I mentioned this before, but what, what I've noticed. And I'm not sure what leads to this, but I guess there really are noticeable kind of cultures I find in certain programs or certain regions of the country when it comes to oral surgery. Like you can really identify in my mind, you know, for example, what Western was like, what McGill is like, what Laval is like, what Toronto is like. Some of the programs we mentioned how we don't know them as well, but we've made, you know, outreach. like for example, now we know a lot more about Dalhousie than we knew before after we talked with Ben Davis. We'd obviously like to know Manitoba a little bit more. Like, you know, you can kind of reach out to those communities. But one thing I've noticed, you know, being in Montreal for six years and then also just meeting with their programs, I find the Quebec surgeons very impressive in that they're all very, very motivated to learn and increase their scope of practice. Like we were at this course and you got people from all over Quebec, like not just major cities, like rural areas. They're all taking call. They're all doing major surgery. They're all interested to learn. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very impressed with their, their desire to learn. I don't know. You know, percentage wise, like if there's a higher percentage of Quebec people that attend conferences or get involved or do major surgery, but I just feel like in Quebec, a lot more of the community surgeons take call and want to be actively involved in the OR and doing major surgery compared to maybe in Ontario, where because there's so many oral surgeons, I just find there's a lot more that maybe aren't doing that. Yeah. You know what? There's someone's research project right there. Yeah, quantifying <laughs> major cases by yeah. province in Distribution Canada. Distribution of call versus surgeon number. <laughs> but no, it was great. And one thing you can tell that's happening over time, and it's happening organically, it's happening very nicely, is that the podcast is getting an increased following and an increased network. And you're getting stories from other, other surgeons. You meet new people. And it's really nice. You meet someone maybe for the first time, or you've met them before, where you're talking to them for the first time, and they bring up the podcast and say, you know, we listen. It is always funny because then you realize like they know everything about us. Oh yeah. Uh, so you have nothing new to do. Yeah. Like, oh, there's no introduction. It's like, you already know me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had the residents over for journal club and one of the res and Lennox was there like mm-hmm. <laughs> eating dinner before going to sleep. And one of the residents goes, 
oh, that's Lennox. I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, I've heard about him so much. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, and now you're meeting him. He's famous. Yeah. He's like, I'm his uncle. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> so yeah, that's been really good. And what I also like is when I meet people, they give good feedback. Like they, they actually, they keep it straight. They say, you know, I like this episode. I like that episode. I like when you guys did this, or you guys should talk about this. Or you should have this. Like I, I really value the feedback we get from people. So don't be afraid to come up to us and tell us. I was in Buffalo this weekend with a bunch of the Toronto people. You know, Farrell was there. I met some new people. We were hosted by Markowitz in Buffalo. It was a really, really good time. Met their fellows, residents, things like that. And one of the common themes were people were bringing up the podcast and that they listen and or they want to be a guest. And it, it was a really good time down in Buffalo. So I find no matter where I go now, I, I'm people are mentioning it or listening. And, I, and that's great. I think, I think it's nice to hear from others about it. I was wondering about you, Oscar, because for me, you know, as you mentioned, like, I go to conferences, I, I go to all these university things, I meet with residents, teach, all that type of stuff. You're a little bit more low-key, well, especially because you have a kid now, like a young kid. But do you find you get as much feedback on a weekly or monthly basis from people in your circles or your community? Or what, what's your experience like? It's, it's funny, yeah. Like, one, I work in such a big practice. So a lot of times it's our own staff coming to be like, oh, I just listened to the episode. And I'm like, you better listen to the episode. I worked for you guys. And I talked to them 12 <laughs> times. Um, so that one is, I, I, I hear from them a lot. And then we just had a kind of a little get together for the new surgeons. We had it at Eddie's house. And Chris was saying, like, because I, I don't work in the same office with Chris. And he was at the course with you guys in, in Quebec. And so he was telling me how much this is the podcast. So it's nice to hear from our own little circle of, of nine surgeons that we have. But then I also hear it sometimes even from like classmates of mine, but not as much as mine, but from Lexi's because they're younger than us. Like Alexi's classmates are three years below below me when I went to school and she'll hear from her classmates and like, oh, I listened to Oscar's podcast or I'll hear from her friends. <laughs> or I'm like, that's, that's so funny because none of them are oral surgeons, but yeah. it's, it's just kind of nice to hear. We have quite a group of non-oral surgeon that listen. Yeah, like, I'm, whether I'm surprised at that. A lot of dental students and then a lot of, yeah, like other specialists or general dentists that will listen. It's, it's good. Like, Dental students doesn't surprise me because you may want to do oral surgery, right? Mm -hmm. But the ones that surprise me are, are general dentists that are dental yeah. students. And I, I'm not saying it's bad. That's amazing. I'm super excited. It's just, I was surprised that that happens. For sure. Yeah, no. So that, that, that's always good. It's good that they kind of interact with you. It's funny that Chris mentioned it because Chris was at the, the course with us and he actually sat at my table. So I was catching up with him and I was actually ripping on him for not listening. I, I, you know me, I want a consistent listener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't He's, want this, you know. Yeah. I'm, I don't like the buffet. He's Come jumping around. Picking. Pick yeah, and yeah. choose. No, I want yeah. the tasting menu. You got to go one at a time and get everything. And if you were calling out Chris, because he's like the nicest person ever and so polite, you're probably, he's probably like, I'm going to listen to all of them now in a row. Well, it was pretty funny because he had a six hour drive back from the conference. I said, listen, you can crush at least two episodes on that drive. Yeah. yeah. So he actually texts me a picture of his Tesla screen. Yeah. And he has the podcast pulled up and he says, dude, this Rittenberg episode is almost three hours. I'm only committing to one episode. <laughs> That's but he listened. He really enjoyed it. So hopefully that'll get him to keep listening. So one other thing I wanted to talk about was there is a reverse side to this. And that's because since we produce this on a monthly basis, I don't assume that everyone listens. In fact, I'm always pleasantly surprised when <laughs> someone tells me they listen. I'm always like, cool. Like, I didn't know you were a listener. Like, yeah. great to meet you, blah, blah, blah. But then when people come up to me, whether it's residents, whether it's surgeons I meet, and they ask me a question that we've like just discussed on the podcast recently, or like, you know, it's a you're big done. theme of our podcast. You're done with them. Part of me is a little bit done with them. I'm like, mm, yeah, because you're more cutthroat than I am. So I can imagine you'd be you're kind of revealing yourself that yeah. you don't listen. Like if we do a resume reminder on a topic and then someone asks me about that, you know, a month later, I'm like, did you not listen to the episode? Like we just talked about this. Like you should know. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. You'd be more, I'd be like more like, okay, where are you in life? 
Do you have a child? I'll give you a pass because not many people give me a pass. <laughs> if you have a child, I'm giving you a pass. Doesn't matter. Even if your child's 19, I'll be like, you got a pass. Uh, or if you're in residency, I'm giving you a pass because maybe you're busy. I have two kids. Did you ever give me a pass? I can't remember. No, no. <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely. Yeah, you you guys are you guys are nicer than me. But that is funny that if they if they if we talk about something that we talked about on the podcast and they don't know about it, I'm like, mm, well, yeah. now I know you don't listen. Yeah. You put that in the. Mm, I don't love that answer. Still love that answer. You know, we had U of T interviews recently, and I mentioned to you before. I always, I don't really enjoy the interview process. Different I find side it of the really hard now for you. Yeah. Yeah, and then you know the the candidates are always so highly qualified. They're such like, nice how people. Choose? How do you choose? And that's yeah. why I'm kind of glad that it's such a massive committee. Yeah, I don't know how the heads do it. Like, I'm like tiebreakers, or when people are close, having to make that decision. Because you're nice, you know. We have, I think, twelve of us on the committee. Everyone gives ranks, so then it kind of all you add them all up together. You get this like kind of overall score. Yeah. So no one person has a major influence, which I like because it means to me that it's fair. You know, you're helping people, but also it's not like I can really hurt someone that much. So I, you know, I don't feel guilty afterwards, type thing. I, I do think it is a lot of pressure for the people who are on the committee, right? Like, especially if the committee was really small, it takes two people because you're dictating mm -hmm. or determining potentially the career path of some of these people, right? Yeah. And um, you shouldn't be because realistically people should be applying for multiple programs and end up doing mm -hmm. it over multiple times if they can't get in. But still, mm -hmm. you are dictating a, a course of like a young adult's life. So I would say that is a lot of pressure. Having 12 people, I do, I do think dilutes that quite a bit. So I mm -hmm. think that's, that's really good that it is that big of a committee. Yeah. And as you mentioned, like, yeah, people should apply. But even, you know, personally for me, for example, I applied everywhere in Canada, applied a bunch of places in the U.S., but for example, you know, I end up going to McGill and if I don't go to McGill, I don't meet the certain staff that I met there. If I don't meet them, I don't get involved with this. If I don't get involved with this, I don't end up doing the fellowship. If I don't do the fellowship, I don't end up coming to Toronto and getting a position with Kim and Itty. Like everything, That's it's, it's like, this crazy snowball that starts from one, one tiny decision. decision. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's why I don't like the gravity of it. I think it changes lives, as you said. And yeah, it changes some people's lives for the better, but there yep. are a number of people that maybe won't get in and you feel bad for them. So. Especially the, the, when the pool is that talented, right? It's not, mm -hmm. a, you don't feel bad when, let's say you, the 10 people are applying and two are stars and the rest eight are just yeah. duds. You're like, who cares? These two people yeah. deserve it. And that's how life works. But when 10 yeah. out of 10 are stars, you're like, yeah, this is hard. Yeah. It's tough when there's such good parity amongst them. So yeah, that's always, we have to do it. It's an annual thing. And it's part of the, part of being in academics and part of being part of the program. But I always find it, I always struggle with it. I'm not going to lie. I do have a major call to our listeners. We have a great listenership. We have an upcoming episode. It's relatively soon and it's about tax, tax laws in Canada, tax laws for corporations and corporations. Like this is going to be a hugely popular episode. For it's sure. going to be one of our this, best episodes. This will be number one. For sure. I guarantee you. Yeah. Everyone, no one understands taxes. Everyone wants to save on taxes. So what we're asking our listeners to do is send us your questions. Now, when you send the questions in, teethandtitaniumomfs at gmail.com, write us your question. It can literally be anything. Like, don't feel like you can't ask certain things. Like it could be, you know, how do you save money with this? Or how do I give to charity in the best way possible? Anything you want. It can be even selfish things. Like how do I save money on taxes? Or what's the best way to avoid taxes? That's the first question we're going to get. Probably. But uh, I'm writing uh, that in. Fritz Kinley, don't buy a boat. No, sorry. I don't want to mention any names. <laughs> Brad, don't sell your boat. Yeah, Brad. <laughs> we'll have the residents over on your boat. Then you can write it off. We need to see if that's yeah, yeah. possible. Business expense. Business expense. Business yeah. <laughs> business expense. Yeah, we should, we should definitely ask that. Now, I will say to our listeners abroad, you know, it is going to be a Canadian tax expert. So you can ask general questions, but don't ask anything specific to the United States or Europe or Australia or Saudi Arabia. We really need to limit it to 
you know, Canadian questions only, but you can ask general tax things. The other thing I would say is there are no taxes in Saudi Arabia. So the that's tax right. laws are pretty easy. I, I was, I was like, I was like, did you mean that? Was that what intended? <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit intended. We have a lot of okay. you know, residents from McGill that were from Saudi that listen. So, yeah. you know, they don't have to worry about this. They're going to be like, oh, taxes. What is, maybe they'll listen that's to learn their, what a tax that's is. That's a resident reminder. What is this? <laughs> what is a tax? I don't yeah. understand. Yeah. So please send in your tax questions. So when you send it in to our email, you can, you can include your name and say, thanks a lot. This is back of doctor or whatever from wherever. Or you can say this is an anonymous question, meaning we'll ask the guy the question, we'll talk about it, but we won't bring up the name or where it's from. Like it'll be completely anonymous. Yeah. So feel free to ask it in either format, whatever you're most comfortable with. But we really want to get some questions from the audience because this is going to be our one episode with the tax expert. And we really want to ask as many things as we can, because I think we can all learn a lot from this. We don't, we don't really know enough about incorporations or taxes. I agree. Next, let's move on to our fan mail. So we had a great month for fan mail. The first thing I would say is this past episode, you know, we had Dr. Paolo Mello, and I will say certain episodes seem to generate buzz. And I've been getting tons of messages from tons of people saying things like, wow, like that's a big fish or wow, what a get or wow, what an episode. That's the weight he carries. That's all him. Yeah, which is which is funny. We mentioned the last episode, but like I never knew who the guy was. And you had to tell me like, dude, we have to go to this course. He's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. But once I went to the course and once I talked on the podcast, I mean, I was very impressed with them. I really enjoyed the episode, but it is nice when you get the feedback that like, people are like, whoa, like, how do mm-hmm. you get that guy? Like, that's impressive. And it kind of, you know, puts our podcast on a, on a bigger global standing. But did you guys get similar feedback about like the Malo episode and, and how good people found it? Yeah, I would say that's the first episode. Yeah, I know, you know, probably is the first episode where I kind of got that kind of feedback where it more wasn't even just the episode itself, it was that he was on the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, Brad. How did, I didn't did you get think? any feedback overall, <laughs> but I live on an island. Uh, Brad is the only oral yeah. surgeon in that area. No one talks to him. Oh, Oscar, that was one of the funniest parts ever. At the conference, everyone met Brad and they could not believe he was an oral yeah. surgeon. They were shocked. They're like, whoa, you just came here just to record the podcast? He's like, no, I want to learn about the technique. They're like, wait, you're an oral surgeon? He's like, yeah. I was an oral surgeon. <laughs> they didn't know that? They thought Brad was just a producer. Like, he was like a professional oh producer. Oh, my God. That's amazing. He's like, now I'm going to just it's, practice. It's the headphone and the new mic. <laughs> that's amazing. Shake it till you make it. Yeah. yeah. You, you played was, the part too well. Yeah. It was it so well. funny when they realized that Brad is like an oral surgeon. That's amazing. He's got way more experience than we do. Like, way more. Yeah. That's the best part. He's, he's now, I don't say that. I thought the Malo so was, was funny. But, like I'd heard him speak at the Rich Carlton in yeah. Montreal, maybe like 10 years ago. And that was a bit interesting. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen a speaker actively argue with his audience like he did. Like it was very confrontational. Oh. <laughs> And so I wasn't sure about this guy, but then when he came on, he was so gracious, so nice. It was great to hear his background yeah. of where he came from, everything that he did. I love how he just kind of does his own thing. I wish I could do that, but. Uh, that That's what's just impressive, man. Like you just see the way he, he thinks differently. Like he's just a different kind of human being, I think. I was very impressed with him. I love the thought process. So we got a good, a lot of good feedback about it. So first fan mail is, hi guys. Long episode, but very captivating. And I did listen to the whole episode in one shot with my AirPods <laughs> in. 
while putting summer stuff away for the winter time. By the way, this is Mark Sheeran from mm-hmm. Windsor. I actually feel like it helps to know who it is while yeah. I'm reading it because yeah. that way people can know. I listened to the whole episode with my AirPods while putting summer stuff away for the winter time. That's smart. A dog walk, not a pet person myself, and a drive to play tennis. Good, yeah. We like that. Yeah. Love to play tennis. Yeah, it was a long episode, but very much enjoyed it. Probably worth a part two. So look, oh. this guy, he's saying it was a three-hour episode. He's like, it's long, he but wants it's more. motivating. And he already wants part two, which is a very good sign. Yeah. Pointed questions like, does he ever bone graft? If so, when and how? That would have been a great question. Does he ever guide his cases? Does he do his own conversions, team approach, maintenance? Most crucial points for long-term success. So those are great questions. Yeah. I will say a lot of what he's talking about is covered in his courses. Like we did mention how we really enjoyed the course. And some of those questions were definitely answered in his courses. Mm-hmm. But I agree. Like these types of guys with lifetimes of experience, you could ask them so many questions. Oh, you could just pick your brain ten, all day. All day. I really enjoyed his history. Even though I have heard him speak on a few occasions, I felt your interview with him allowed me to get to know him better and the way he thinks. Great episode, Mark Sure, That's a great email. Great email. We loved it. You know, I love it because he listened to the whole episode. Yeah, yeah. He listened now. As I said, he listened to the whole thing in one go. It, it sounds like it occupied his whole day. He's got, he's got yeah. putting away stuff. He's got a dog walk. He just continued. He, inter- he never took his ear paws out. He just kept yeah. doing things. <laughs> he just kept going. <laughs> Which is great. I mean, you can listen to different parts, but he went all the way. And what I would say is now, I have a quiz for you, Oscar, just to test your memory. Hmm. True or false, Mark Shuren has appeared on our podcast before. True in Iceland. Wow, good yeah. job. Yeah, he was in Iceland. <laughs> he was in the audience and he, and he contributed pretty good. I wasn't sure if you remember that. So. Yeah, we like Mark. He's a loyal listener. And why I'm impressed with him also is he's a very established, like he's in the senior set, a uh, certain category, right? Like he teaches the London residents. Yeah. He's been doing that for de- decades. He's very well respected. Very well respected. Established practice in Windsor, like very well known. Like everyone knows yeah, in Ontario. Sure. Ontario sure. Everyone knows Mark Sure. But he listens. Like yeah. He's listening to us two bozos, these young guys. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't train us, but he listens and he enjoys the episodes and he actively like responds. So I'm always impressed because yeah. I hope that when I'm older and a surgeon, like a senior surgeon category, I still learn from the youth and I'm open-minded it, and one because it's harder, should, harder to we, do than you yeah, think. And we should clarify, well, we're not saying senior, like you're old, we're just saying you're an established surgeon. Like you've been doing Yeah, it. maybe that's a better way of saying it, yeah. established. Because senior surgeon can get senior citizen, like you're going to make stuff, you miss it. You're listening <laughs> at two times speed, people are going to be pissed at us. Yeah. That's true. So All the 1.5 surgeon. listeners are, he said what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's good. Okay, fine. We'll start claiming the established surgeons, I guess. Next email we have is, hey boys. You should have Dr. Vanka on the show. He's a retired OMFest and he's now nominated to UCP Alberta. He's running for a party in Alberta for May of this year. This was an older email, sorry. Interesting story. Cheers and all the best. So this is from Kevin Lott. We've also mentioned on the podcast before to see if he even listens. And he actually does because he sent us a nice email. Yeah. And he brought up something interesting, which is here's an oral surgeon that's actually running for government. Yeah. And it is kind of cool to see the intersection of oral surgery politics because the problem we have is a lack of representation. Yeah. Right. The general population doesn't know what oral surgery is. Right. Most, I mean, I never even heard of the profession until I went to dental school. I was my master's. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Your master's study. Yeah. Was a general physicians and specialists do the, yeah. Yeah. Good point. So it it would be nice to have some representation in in the formal setting, especially when it comes to setting health policies or reimbursement or things like that, because we struggle with that all the time in Ontario. So that was a pretty good email. So thanks to Kevin Lund. Something completely different. So I like that. Yeah, it was cool. So thanks, Kevin. Uh, by the way, Kevin Long, future potential guest. He's uh, on our list of people we'd yeah, love to interview. Yeah, I also and he would be hilarious. Impressive. Yeah. Very funny, yeah. I heard, and very impressive. He's hilarious. Like, he's actually hilarious. He's very, it's funny. He's so funny that you forget that he's such an accomplished surgeon. Yeah. 
but he's so funny and like a great guy. But I told him that I'm only willing to do his episode if, if he's like visiting Toronto, like it has to be in person. Okay. He's one of those guys that's too to. funny. Yeah, yeah. He's too funny in real life not to do it in person. Okay. Like we would just be laughing the whole time. And sometimes on the internet, you kind of lose that like spontaneity yeah, and not like the same. connection. Yeah. So I told him, I said, let us know when he's visiting Toronto because we have to, we have to record okay. with him, but it has to be in person. And I already know that name of the title of the episode, but he knows that as well. Next email. Hi, Teeth and Titanium. This is from Mo, Mohammed El Rabini. Great job with the last podcast. The interview with Dr. Mala was incredibly insightful, and I particularly loved his discussion on the history of immediate implants and the all on four concept. He did a great job of explaining the science behind what we do and why. And that's, you know, Oscar, something we said was, we like it when people explain a technique using science, but also yeah. it, what was cool about him was he grew up because it was all in development. He's like, this is the problem we had. So how do you solve yeah. this problem? You have to build an implant that has this. And you're like, whoa, like and, that's why all and, these implants look this way now. And that's why to me, he just thinks differently, right? He's thinking of a problem. How am I going to fix it? It's mm -hmm. not just, yeah, brain works differently in my opinion for that guy. And he's not just like thinking it. He's actually making it happen. Yeah. He's an implementer, not just, you know, an inventor yeah. or an ideas person. Mo says, on another note, did you guys know that Wendell holds the highly coveted title of assistant professor at the University of Toronto? Does that somehow make him better than the rest of us? Question mark. So that's an easy answer. No, easy answer, Mo, for you. <laughs> I'm better than you for a multitude of reasons. <laughs> but that's not what. But that's not why. <laughs> <laughs> so Mo brings up this funny concept, which is I was talking to him about this. How you know because I'm an attending at U of T, I'm an assistant professor. But there's all these weird titles that. U of T and, you know, some people, for example, they'll, they'll teach the undergrads in a clinic maybe once a year and then they'll put like, I teach at University of Toronto on their resume yeah. and on their website, stuff like that. So you kind of get learned not, yeah, you don't really know how who's to reach true or, or who's true or what they're doing. Yeah. And I've struggled with it because when I try and explain to people that I'm at U of T, I don't know what to say. Like I'm a, I'm an attending or I'm part of the residency program or I'm a And like how instructor. involved are you? Really? And like, and, and I know yeah. how involved you really are. Like you're quite involved, but it, mm -hmm. like, how do you come across that just by title when everyone kind of, put, a lot of people put that on their resume? Yeah. And yeah. I'm not really trying to resume, but I'm just trying to, all no. I'm trying to explain to someone is that. What you do. I'm involved with the residents. Yeah. I just want them to know that like I teach the residents and I work with the residents and I don't know how to properly explain that. Yep. And what I've kind of landed on is like, I'm an attending staff with, with the residents. Like, I don't I even that, know if that makes like it's, sense, but. And uh, yeah, and I don't know if it's so clear to me because I know you, so I know exactly what you do. And I'm like, that's a perfect description of what you do. I don't know yeah. how I would feel if I didn't know you or I didn't know how involved you were, maybe that would, perception would change. Because I have found like when I say, oh, I teach at U of T or I have a clinic at Mount Sinai or I'm in the OR, they might say, yeah, okay, it's cool. But, and then later on, we we're talking about how I teach the residents. They're like, oh, you work with residents. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah but it's this weird disconnect. Yeah. But Mo was saying that this title of assistant professor is only given to certain people. So most people are like a clinical instructor. And that's like, yeah, you went to the school, you were a demo, a half yeah. day, a year or whatever. Mm -hmm. So everyone can be clinical instructors. But he said they don't give out the title of assistant professor. So I never knew this. So I thought me being an assistant professor, I thought that was like low on the totem pole because like, it's oh, so it's actually, assistant. it's no, it's legit. Mo would tell me it's legit. All right. Like, yeah. So it's something he aspires to, he said. So he's trying to make fun of me in this email, but, I, but I he's like, but he wants it. he's like, this sucks, but I want it too. Yeah, he wants, yeah. <laughs> he wants it too. So keep, keep plugging away, Mo. One day you'll get there. Yeah. Next email, dear Oscar and Wendell, this is from a dental student, Arshia. So he says, basically 18 months ago, I had orthodontic surgery by the awesome team at Crescent Oral Surgery. Shout out, shout out. Two shout outs there, right? To us and to my practice. Yeah, pretty nice there to correct my class three malocclusion. 
surgery did wonders for me. So he's an advocate for orthopedic surgery too. Apart from the aesthetics of the result, being able to chew my food properly led to significant improvement in my mood and energy levels. This experience, in addition to being raised in a dental family, instilled in me a passion and appreciation for oral surgery. This guy should be our advocate. Yeah, 100%. You know, patient, a little patient perspective on the website or something. Get this fast guy forward. And Dr. Vanek from Alberta. We got a committee <laughs> yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, team of them. <laughs> yeah. I can see the political campaign ads already. Yeah. Fast forward to now, and I'm a first year dental student at U of T. Oh, congrats on getting into dentistry. I came across your podcast on Spotify and found each episode super exciting. They make my one hour commute to U of T more tolerable. That's pretty good. He's listening. He's finding it exciting. What's funny is I always wonder how people discover us. Like, obviously, there's word of mouth or people that talk to us. But I, I do find it funny, like, the idea of someone going on Spotify and looking up, like, oral surgery podcasts. Like, you know, kind of funny. Like, they see Teeth and Titanium. And they probably click it and realize it's, like, us from Toronto. So that's kind of cool. So basically, he reached out. He really likes the podcast. He's really passionate about oral surgery. So we really want to say thank you for his kind email and wish him best of luck in dental school. And with his future applications and always nice to have uh, another listener. Next up, we have a real treat. We love fan mail. We love feedback. But, you know, my favorite thing by far is fan mail feedback in the form of audio notes. So people can send us a message on WhatsApp. They can send us an audio note. And we have one to play for you today from Nasser Al-Shirani. And we talked about Saudi before. He's probably thinking, what are those taxes? But He's confused for sure, but, and he's probably sweating now. He's like, I didn't realize this audio note was going to be played on the podcast, but let's listen into what he has to say. Yo, yo, this is the assistant to the executive producer talking to you. <laughs> Man, that was so funny. And you know, what was funny is that I didn't know. I like, I listened to the episode that I, I haven't answered in a while. Like I didn't talk immediately, then call immediately after. But the day it came out, I started listening to it, you know? And I listened for the first part, the uh, updates. And I didn't read the notes, and I don't have the COMS, so I didn't receive the email. Ahmed told me about it after. So suddenly I hear my name, and I'm like, oh, that was my voice note the last time. And it was so funny, man. And Brad was part was so funny too. And actually, whatever he said is true. The two reasons, the thing that I, you know, that I would love to do this. And I know that you would never offer it to me, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't think I'll do a better job than Brad, to be honest. And the reason that I haven't sent you anything about it yet is I, I didn't finish it. It was a long episode and I've been really heavy, so I didn't have a chance to listen to I don't know if anyone else told you, but for me, honestly, this was probably the best episode, even better than, you know, how emotionally I loved the episode with McCall, uh, just because it's him. But this guy, Mallow, even my wife enjoyed the, like, she doesn't usually like to listen to the episode. She wants me to change, but she liked the episode. She said, no, keep it. Cause I want to, she came up, I can I wanted to change it. She said, no, keep it. The guy, his story, the way he came up, the way he talks about things, the way he explained the, how great this guy is, man. He is one of a kind, to be honest. And he's very inspiring. Like, I'm more inspired to do some wild stuff here. 
and not wild in terms of illegally doing stupid things, but no, in terms of working myself more and 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 getting opportunities that people didn't want to do or they just wanted to stick with the norms, you know? So yeah, it was like the greatest guest you ever had. It was one of the best ever. So thanks for the shout out, man. And I will send my application once. Once I see that Brad is slacking, say hi to the fam. Well, a lot to unpack there. Really, really nice hearing from Master, you know, my former junior resident uh, at McGill. And so let's start off with the first thing. Assistant to Brad, he, 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 we called him out. He said, is Brad at the level where he needs an assistant now? And then I like the fact that Nasser was the first person to acknowledge that he would love to do the job and that we would never pick him to replace Brad. Yeah, like I was, I was impressed with that. The other thing yeah. I was impressed with is he said the episode was long and he had a dinner <laughs> That was a long voice note. <laughs> so if he's our producer, our show is not getting any shorter. I can tell you that much. For sure. By the time he finished his voice note, he probably could have finished the episode. Yeah. <laughs> but he had a lot of good points. I think there. he needs to sign up yeah. to become um, an affiliate member of the Canadian I really like the fact that uh, Association. That uh, oh, I was going to mention that. He that, he mentioned, oh, I'm not, I don't get yeah. to see him. I see him as a master. Become an affiliate member. Yeah. It's like, it's not that much a year. You know, you the, all the emails, get all the updates, you get to see uh, the, the membership up to with your Canadian colleagues, that. learn about the meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Is, Whoever he is. Yeah. Who is that again? Hey, Brad, are you an affiliate member? Yeah. Yeah, good. So doing my job. Yeah. yeah, doing my job. Doing my job. Doing my job. Well. I also love the fact that he quickly changed it from the podcast once his wife got in the car, but he, his wife was like, no, no, keep it. I actually like this episode. We know who worked the pants there. She's like, change this now. <laughs> I would strongly encourage that you do not try any wild stuff, Nasser. You mentioned going rogue because yeah, Mal is one of a kind. Yeah. I uh, wouldn't encourage everyone to try this at home, but no, I like the fact that it inspired you to uh, push boundaries and never settle for getting into a rut. So good on you. And thanks for the great feedback. And I think it's a good summary of how profound an effect this episode yeah. had. Like, I really feel like the feedback I got, people were really, really impressed with it. I agree. And so it, like as much as I was, I was joking about the, the voice note, it was nice. Everything he was saying, I was kind of agreeing with, right? And the fact that, yeah, someone who usually isn't interested in him listening to the podcast was because he was not only teaching your sword, but he was talking about life. Hey, when it comes to here, what Malo was great. talking about, if you want yeah. to try something new, would you go for a family member like he did? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Unless you don't like yeah. the family member. <laughs> like, you're, you're talking about like, like your wife's family, maybe, but like my own family or someone like an uncle I don't like, but, but no, I would yeah, not. Yeah, because I'm trying, I'm trying to think of the equivalent. Like if I designed a brand new osteotomy of the maxilla or the mandel, no. am I going to recruit my cousin you know, to try it on for uh, Your not. first Absolutely ridge split not. or, you know, Absolutely. oh, let's try out these verses or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, I heard this is good. Let me use them. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, definitely, definitely not as uh, ambitious, I would say. So. We love the fan mail. This we had called out for more fan mail. Mm -hmm. We wanted more fan mail. We wanted more interaction. Our listeners delivered. This, this was, was a good great month. feedback, great month. And you can see, I think you can tell from like our voices and the laughter, like we really enjoy hearing from you guys. And it, I think it adds new perspectives and some spice to the podcast. So definitely keep sending things in, whether it's via email, via voice note, we're happy to receive anything. So thanks to all our fans. Now let's move on to our next topic, which is resident reminder.
Okay, so keeping on the implant theme that we've been going with this past month, our resident reminder is on peri-implantitis. So this is one of those unfortunate things that all of us have to deal with, and you mostly deal with it in private practice because that's when not only are you placing more implants, but you're actually managing the patients and seeing them long-term. Oscar, from a private practice point of view, how have you found you know the transition from residency to private practice when it comes to both placing implants and then managing complications like this, like peri-implantitis, because it happens to everyone. It happens to the best of us. Yeah, so a hundred percent, it's so different from residency to private practice. And the main thing, and, and, and I think eventually I'll defer to Brad because he's been out longer. But the main thing is when you're in residency, you put an implant in nine times out of 10, you're not seeing that patient for a long-term follow-up, right? Yeah. Like you're yeah. going to check it for osteointegration and then you're going to send it to the, whoever referred it to you, whoever referred it to the program or the faculty or whatever it is, mm -hmm. but you're not really seeing them again for anything. So you may look like your stress rate is 100%, but you have no idea what's going on when you're in year one and then in year four or year one or year six or anything like that. So it's, I think it's just too short where you don't get to see enough complications. That being said, I'm really only, and I'm a little bit ahead of you, but I'm only really starting my fifth year. First mm -hmm. year, I don't know how your practice was, but I wasn't doing that many implants, right? So that, I think that's the hardest thing that to get referrals to give to you because they're more yeah. used to referring to the partners or to other people. So in the first year, you're not doing that much. And then let's say second, third year, you start to do it. So I've only really been doing implants at a greater volume for the last three years. So it's still a bit early. I really haven't been seeing yeah, fair enough. much peri-implantitis. Like I, I am someone that, as much as you're talking about my, my lack of CE enthusiasm, whenever I'm at mm -hmm. my practice and I don't have a patient, I'm really in the room of the other surgeons, right? Like the more, the more experienced or senior surgeons, like you call them. And so I, I see them and they've been doing it for so long that you're going to have peri-implantitis. But me personally... I'm still, I would say too early where I haven't really seen much of it almost at all. And, and working with these establishments, have you picked up any pearls or any tips that you, you realize on, on the management or treatment of it or prevention of it? Yes, but I would say like every case is really different. That sounds so cliche where it's like, oh, you got to treat every case independently mm -hmm. or specifically, but it is that because it really is. What does your defect look like? How long has the implant been in place? What are the expectations of this patient? Does this patient want to undergo more treatment? Is this patient want to try to save at all costs? So I really think what I've learned the most is that don't just go in with, I'm going to do it this way. You have to see what the situation is, is letting you do. Yeah, that's great advice. You know, fortunately at McGill, because we had this, so many implants in the dental school and the GPR program, although it might not be your own implant you placed, it stays in the program. So that's good. yeah, five years later, if it has an issue, yeah. it'll be whoever resonates around there. Nice. So I did actually get to see. Well, no, they were my own. They were my failures. Yeah. Six-year program. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know who I'm going to give a shout-out to? And remember, we like to drop names and we have no idea if they listen or not. I'm going to mention a name that we've never mentioned before, Ehab Kodsi. So Ehab, who's at Credit Valley, he was a McGill resident. I think, Brad, he was one year below you or two years below you? Ehab was my co-resident in GPR. And then also we were residents together. He was a year really ago. Awesome, yeah. So Brad knows him really well. Super nice guy. And I remember thinking, I always saw his follow-ups because he was the equivalent of like four years ahead of me. Mm -hmm. So I would see his implant follow-ups. And I always remember thinking like, man, I knew he had briefly, but he must've been great because his implants were solid. Wow. Like they come in, like they look great, great positioning, great bone. Like, I just feel like he was a really That's talented a nice implant surgeon. Yeah. And I told, I told him to his face, I said, listen, I always saw your name and I always saw great results. Now, from some other people, not Brad. I never actually, I don't I remember. Brad, did you even work on patients when you were resident? I never even saw he one of your patients. He was busy setting up both. the mic. Uh, just, 
I was just yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, the residence I'm convinced Brad never even placed an implant. I never even saw Paul. But some other people, you know, you see, you, you know, as I said, complications happen to all of us. And we we didn't have peri-implantized cases. So it was good in residence to see because you have more supervision, but you get to see, okay, all the, unfortunately, all the voodoo that goes in like, okay, open your flap, plastic curettes, titanium brush, citric acid, acid edge, irrigation, curettage. Kitchen sink. You yeah, do you bone grab? Do you not bone grab? Like it was such kind of voodoo and unfortunately it doesn't seem to be great evidence. So that was the only experience I really had in residency. Similar to you in private practice, because I've been placing implants more recently, enough time hasn't passed where, you know, the percentage of complications we're going to have have creeped up on yeah. me. So I haven't had major experience yet enough to offer the audience any kind of tips or tricks. But definitely my overall impression from residency and talking to people is there is a little bit of voodoo involved and also a little bit of luck. And it's also is case specific when it comes to the the literature that we're here to talk about you know basically peri-implantitis is an inflammatory process that affects the tissue around an osseointegrated dental implant and results in exaggerated marginal bone loss so the thing that we always told our residents was perimucositis is kind of like gingivitis right the gums are inflamed the bones okay Periimplantitis is like periodontitis which is you actually have to have bone loss and the problem is as we know once you start losing bone on implants it's like impossible to gain it back. This is no fun. That's when it becomes no fun. Yeah. So I think the best advice is to try and stop the process rather than regenerate. You really want to arrest the bone loss and hope that the implant's still stable enough. But then you're dealing with a, a larger pocket. And then, you know, there's always that board question on, you know, which fibers, you know, do, does a tooth have and an implant doesn't have? And it's like this tooth has the perpendicular fibers or your probe stops, but the implant only has circular fibers. The probe. So basically, you know, long story straight, you know, a deep pocket on implant is really bad, <laughs> really, really hard to treat. So a lot of people have kind of tried to come up with protocols or management of peri-implantitis. You know, Brad found this nice one from the University of Bern, and they talked about, you know, this algorithm for trying to treat it. And basically consists of four protocols, mechanical debridement, antiseptic treatment, antibiotic treatment, and regenerative or resective therapy. And the, you know, they have this whole kind of algorithm. And once again, it is based on probing depth because we know the deeper the probe, probing depth, sorry, the, the more bone loss, the harder it is. So if you think about a, a small probing depth, like less than three, they're talking about, okay, no bleeding on probing, no plaque, no treatment. There is some plaque, maybe some mechanical debridement and polishing. Once you start getting to deeper probing depths, so for example, four to five, that's when you're looking at antiseptic cleansing. So the things we were talking about before, you know, you're opening, you're, you're cleansing the area, you're putting, sometimes you put doxycycline, some people put, sometimes you put chlorhexidine, sometimes you use a titanium brush, sometimes you use a curatage, there's all the different things you can do. Where it really starts to become problematic is when your depth is greater than five. Because now they start talking about, okay, is there a large pocket depth, but it's more a soft tissue thing, so there's no bone loss, or there is bone loss, but it's minimal. Maybe if it's minimal bone loss, you're thinking about systemic or local antibiotic therapy. But then once the bone loss is greater than two millimeters, now they're talking about resective or regenerative surgery. And personally, I have not been able to find any reliable protocol or method that works for regeneration of bone around an implant. Oscar, have you been able to see anything like that? Or even have you been able to see anything that helped promote like you know, arresting the bone loss, like just stopping the pro problem early and preventing that progression. So again, no, personally, I haven't been able to see it and even research because it is something I think we all want to learn or want to be able to know 
what's the best chance? Because as an officer, you're going to be placing an outdated plan, so you're going to have this. You're going to have complications. Yeah. And so yeah. if we found that way where it works and it works in your hand, it'd be great. No, I haven't seen it. The other drawback that I've realized, even when I was talking about it, is like I go in to see these cases of what the procedure they do, but I still don't follow up with those patients. Yeah, you still don't right? see the follow ups. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to like, okay, what patient was Eddie treating? And like, let me see him two years from now. Like, I'm not doing mm -hmm. that. So I've seen some of the work they're doing, but I wouldn't be able to tell you, is it working? Is it not working? They're really talented and they keep doing what they're doing. So it probably is working. I just have no firsthand knowledge of it. What about you, Brad? You've been in practice longer. You've obviously placed a ton of implants. What has been your experience with? complications of periimplantitis, how do you manage it? Well, first, the first time it happens to you, it's a terrible day. Yeah. You know, you lose your first implant, you think it's the end of the world. Yeah. But uh, as you keep placing more and more, I mean, it, it does happen. I like to go back. I, I like to do meticulous notes. So when I go back, I can kind of look at what was the situation? You know, what was my insertion torque? Did I have a good ISQ? What kind of bone did I, I find was it? Was it, did I over prep or under prep to kind of look back that way? And then once the patient comes in, you can take that information and kind of extrapolate it to the current situation. I find it a lot like regenerative surgery when there's actual periopockets around teeth. So the more walls you have, the more success you're going to have. But if there's circumferential bone loss, it's really hard to get that vertical back. And then you have to decide, am I going to use an allograft? Am I going to use a xenograft? Am I going to mix them? Do I put PRF? So that's where you kind of just throw everything you can at it. But I like to do debridement with the titanium brushes to really clean the area. And then usually I'll graft with PRF, close it up, sometimes a membrane, and then a lot of prayer and, <laughs> and hoping. And, and I think the other thing we have to look at is also how was it restored? I was about to ask you know, you, are you taking the crowns off? How do you, if I can. So I try to have everything be screw retained. But obviously the restorative dentist is going to decide on that. But if we can remove it, let's take it out. I like to use ISQ, so I'll get a new ISQ, compare that to what I had pre-op. And then when you torque, if you want to take the abutment out, you could, you know, retorque it, see if it's solid. And then that's where you would decide on whether you're going to maintain the implant or potentially remove it. And then, then like you said, location. So posterior, willing to put up with more bone loss. If they can keep it clean and not infected, anterior, if it starts to become an aesthetic issue, then oftentimes you're going to be removing it. That's great. That's actually great advice. It's also hard to know. Sounds like he's an oral surgeon. Of... Yes. For our listeners, yeah. Brad is an oral surgeon. Has <laughs> slept at a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> it's also hard to know when to kind of cut your losses because the problem is when you have the progressive bone loss. Remember, your backup plan is always going to be remove the implant graft and come back yeah. six months later. But remember, we can't restore vertical bone. So if you keep trying to nurse it along and it's going lower and lower, this you're is, going to take that implant. It's not like you get back to where you started. You're starting at a lower position and then you're going to do that. Because sometimes that six month is just easier. Just take mm -hmm. it out, right? But it's hard to not just convince yourself. It's hard to convince a patient. Sometimes the patient just doesn't want to do it, right? Yeah. It's an Especially age. when they've gone through the whole process. Yeah, like I just around. waited eight months to get this. You're going to tell yeah. me I have to take it out now again? Like, yeah. It's tough, for sure. The other thing I would mention is, and this is a great study by Atani et al., so they observed when it came to the osseointegration of immediate implants, it was independent of the length, the site, the position, the bone claw, and the quantity. The most important thing by far was the initial torque, the insertion torque, basically your primary stability. And I've noticed that this is something you obviously know, but it, it really crystallized to me when you go to certain lectures, when they say, you can talk about everything you want, but, and they actually, Malo mentioned this too, all that matters is the primary stability. How much torque did you have at initial insertion? 
And it's funny because I'll have a lot of cases where I'm like, I wish that, you know, a little bit of thread wasn't exposed or I wish the crestal level was more flush or should I put it a little bit more subcrestal? But in the end, I leave feeling okay because I torqued it to 35 or greater. It's the ones where you're doing your torque test and at 25 or 30, you know, your torque wrench moves and you're like, oh, I don't know. If those are the ones yeah. you really sweat about. You're holding your breath there. Yeah, those ones. I think in that in that study was it thirty two? Yeah, thirty two. Yeah, thirty two was their like yeah. critical. But I mean, on the little gauge that you have on your torque wrench, I think it goes 50, 20, 35. Yeah. So I just want to get to that thirty five line. I'm like, no, stop! I'm done. Don't touch it. Like, okay. Don't look at it. Don't touch it. And don't look at it. Good. So I think it's a nice resin reminder on periimplantitis and the management, and also kind of remind you that the initial stability is the most important. We have mentioned in the past, you know, on our list, we do want to have like a real big implant person, like big implant experts. I would love to have a guest that just does a ton of routine implants. We don't need the fancy implants or the fancy complex yeah. full arch stuff. We, we have tons of stuff for that. It's more like I place 1,000 single implants a year. So and like, I agree with that, except one caveat. I would like someone who does that and also does a ton of immediates. Oh, okay. Yeah, you want okay, because that's a little... Because that's a little bit more part. Like, not everyone's going to be doing yeah. full arches, right? But immediates, mm -hmm. I feel like everyone's got to be doing. So if we can mm -hmm. get a person who's doing a ton of implants, like basic or simple, but also doing a ton of immediates, mm -hmm. that's, I think, a, a win for a, for a guest. Because immediates are tough. Immediates yeah. is like kind of a level up. It's like a... It is. It's a lot more stressful. It yeah. is. It's 100%. Well, it, it, there's a bit of an art to it after a while mm -hmm. where, you know, you follow the drilling protocol for the manufacturer. And then you realize at times, sometimes I need to under yeah. Sometimes I need to tap. Yeah. And you really have to get a feel for that. I, like I think the guess. single most. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Brad's <laughs> a lot about implant. Yeah. Yeah. The best thing you can learn is the restorative portion of it. Because once you see that, how the, the, the abutment's going to emerge out of the implant, your emergence profile, that is key. Your opinion on things. Yeah. And then you realize, well, maybe I should be putting these deeper. You know, so there's more restorative space. So if you can restore some implants, that's the one part. If you don't get a lot of private practice experience, then you don't get a chance to restore a lot of implants. So, you know, it's kind of like when you go to the OR, you know, sometimes you just want to, hey, can I intubate for, you know, the anesthetist? You know, like every once in a while, I just want to restore an implant if someone will let me. Yeah. <laughs> just so I could see what they go through. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's a great point. Absolutely. So hopefully everyone enjoyed that resident reminder. If you have any advice on periimplantitis or know someone that would be a good guest for implants, definitely reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. Now let's move on to our next segment, Journal Club. So for Journal Club this month, we have a couple of quicker articles to get through. The first one is from the perspective section of Jameis, and it's research literacy for oral and maxillofacial surgeons. Why is it important and how can we do better? This is by G et al. and features a number of names that are heavily involved in both Jameis and academia. So pre-screening, we like this title because it was just kind of a quick question saying, is literacy important and how can we improve it? So basically the question they asked is, should oral and maxillofacial surgeons pursue further training in study design, as well as analytic statistical methods? They said the majority of private practice surgeons use white papers, which we've talked about. You know, Amos puts out these white papers every now and then. However, those are few and far between. So what do you do in the interim? Because those often take a long time to develop and you know, new evidence and new journals are coming out all the time. They mention it isn't practical for all oral and maxillofacial surgeons to be proficient in research methods and those in academic leadership should strive to ensure there is a sufficient pool of surgeons with formal training in research methods. 
They talked about some solutions. So offering various monetary incentives, or you give stipends to faculty to enroll them in online or in-person statistics courses. You want to establish relationships with your hospital or university-based biostatistics departments and expanding and protecting dedicated research time. Another avenue they said available to everyone is to take a statistics methods courses. They have one in Amos. They have one in American College of Surgical Clinical Trials course. And, you know, these are meant to disseminate the basic principles of research design and statistical analysis and when to seek statistical expertise. Uh, we talked a little bit about this in our episode with Simon Young, who was a great guest. We really liked having him. He talked about the importance of research and also described different kinds of statistical methods and, and, and values that we look at. My overall feeling is that this is incredibly important, but it's also incredibly hard to motivate and get people to actually do this because I mentioned before how I was impressed at U of T that it seemed to be a fundamental part of your residency program and your master's that you really had to have a good background on statistics and like understand this stuff, but it's hard to convince a private practitioner to do this. Like unless they did it in your residency, kind of like you said, it's going to be really hard to make a private practice person, not make, or like you said, make them want to, to expand their knowledge on statistics. When you do it in a residency, yeah, it's part of your residency, right? Like we took a stats course, it's part, we have to do a master's at U of T to graduate. So it becomes more ingrained, but if you didn't have to, man, that's a hard sell for someone who's not in academics, which they even say in the article though, like they even say it that, yeah, it may be not as important for a community oral surgeon, but much more important if you are academic. You really have to be more proficient and make sure there's enough proficient people around you. Mm -hmm. For sure. I kind of equate this to people that read the newspaper. So I read the newspaper every day and it's hard. Like it's not easy to find the time. You read an actual newspaper or online? Yeah. Yeah. I, I literally love the physical newspaper. Yeah. Right? No, Lex is funny. Lex gets the newspaper to our house too. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, which one? The Toronto Star. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I have the Globe and Mail. So it comes yeah. to my house each morning Yeah. and I bring it to work. I bring it to Ours the hospital. Only on the weekend. It only comes on Oh, the, the big, like the big, yeah, thick uh, yeah, Saturday yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, I'm the opposite. I do Monday to Friday. I don't do the weekend one. Yeah. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. It's really hard to find time to read the paper. Like, oh, 100%. I bring with me every day, try and read at work. I feel like I'm really involved, but it's really, really hard to find the time. But I do find, I learn, I learn more oh. about the world. I learn about yeah. the news, what's going on. Personally, I like the physical paper. I hate looking at screens all day. We look at it for work. We look at our phones. We look at the computers. TV. I love the physical aspect of the paper. So that's why I get a physical paper, mm -hmm. but it's tough. And I, I, that's what I think of when I think of these things is this is fundamental knowledge that we all need, but it's really hard to motivate people. And what's sad is that so much of our profession depends on the few people that put in the work and do know this research. stuff and do the research. So yeah. my hats go up to them, but it, it is tough. I think to, to find, I, I think the only solution is what you mentioned, which is to incorporate residency programs, yeah. maybe make it mandatory like a statistics mm -hmm. course in all residency programs. Because other than that, I can't see a ton of people signing up for these courses after the fact. There's no way. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But still a decently interesting article. I think also kind of, I just by reading the title, I expected what the results were going to be realistically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you kind of know what it is going in. Yeah. So the next article, the main article is from the pathology section of GMS. And it's, does the penicillin allergy label affect outcomes of complicated adonogenic infections? This is by Chada et al. So pre-screening, we have a resident from uh, Michigan. We have a lead statistician. There you go. There we go. Yep. And we have a clinical instructor from Michigan. So we like that. Pass up pre-screening. We love the fact that there's a lead statistician in there. Because now we, now we can look at that. For sure. Yeah, exactly. We know how important that is. 
So basically what they talked about is the penicillin allergy is self-reported by approximately 10% of patients. Considering that nearly 90% of allergy labels can be eliminated with testing, efforts are underway to de-label patients. Clindamycin is frequently used as a first alternative antibiotic, and it's been shown to be nearly five times more likely to develop surgical site infection compared to using a beta-lactam antibiotic. So one of the reasons we like this article was just to see what it said, but also as a discussion article, yeah. because it's a great thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. So I have a ton of people that come in with the penicillin allergy, and I always just ask them, okay, what's the reaction? I ask them, are now they getting implants? Ninety-five <laughs> percent of the time, it's oh, I don't know, or yeah. I, I had a baby, a I had my a rash. Yeah, my parents told me. Yeah, but I always tell them, listen, I say you got a long life to live, and to not be able to take penicillin antibiotics, it's a really big deal. Like, God forbid you ever need major yep. surgery or in a hospital or an infection. Like, they're much, much better. So <laughs> I, I just advise you go get tested, go to an allergist, and I think it could really help you for the rest of your life. That's my little spiel I give to everyone with penicillin allergy. Do you find you do the same thing, Oscar? Or what's been your experience with people it's, that are, you know, it's literally identical. allergic? I, I, as soon as they tell me, I ask them, I'm like, okay, well, how serious is it? And what was, what was the reaction? And then, like you said, a lot of them, the ones that just tell me huge rash last week, I'm like, you're you got an allergy. Like, yeah. That, that yeah. was good. Oh, that's legit. I'm going to believe you. But the ones that are, yeah. oh, I don't know. I think I had some as a kid. My parents always told me, or my mom was allergic. I'm like, you really need to be tested, right? Like, yeah. this is something that it's too common that you may need it at some point seriously, that you shouldn't just be like, oh, I think so. So I tell them mm -hmm. the exact same thing. Go get tested. Yeah, makes sense. So the purpose of the study was to answer the following question. Does the penicillin allergy label place patients at an increased risk for worse outcomes following treatment? So the five-year retrospective cohort study, complicated adonogenic infection was defined as any adonogenic infection requiring admission and surgical management in the operating room. That's legit. Yep. I feel like that's a good, yep. good definition that's of a complex, complex definition, yeah. infection. So the results, so they had 150 subjects and 26 of the patients. So 17.3% presented with a penicillin allergy. So I love it right away. They said, well, technically the population should only have about 10% yeah. that's suspected. And if they're at 17.3, they're already higher. Unfortunately, though, the length of stay did not reach statistical significance. And for the most part, surprisingly, most of the variables they mentioned, measure like length of stay, amount of operation complications, they were not statistically significant. In okay. fact, the only thing that was significant was dem demonstrating antibiotic resistance. Yep. So more patients with the penicillin allergy label had more antibiotic resistance. And they thought that was maybe because they've had this label, they keep getting clindamycin, yes. they keep yep. getting alternatives, but they're selecting for bacteria that normally would have been killed by the penicillin class. So yep. I thought that was interesting. Uh, but they did say once hospitalized, Penicillin allergic patient outcomes were grossly similar to non-allergic patients. And they did mention why, and I think it's something that should be discussed, is that surgery has been shown to be the most critical aspect. So, so this was, this was my one issue with the study, okay? Okay. You were, you were really studying, are people who are allergic to penicillin doing worse off on severe infections? But mm -hmm. you're still doing the main treatment for these infections. Uh, like the yeah. antibiotic is almost secondary here. And so I would, I was, when I was reading, I was like, I would love a study where it said a patient came in with a non-surgical infection. So I didn't classify that. Yeah, you know what? I don't need to do surgery. I don't need IND in there. Mm. And then of those patients, people who are allergic, were they more likely to then to progress back? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Progress into a surgical patient comparatively yeah. to someone who's non-allergic. Yeah. And that's what because I mean. as you mentioned, the, the, the treatment, the antibiotic of choice is steel. Yeah, it is. Right? That's what that's what right? Henry Lapointe <laughs> used to say. You know, yeah. steel is what you need. You need a, a surgical incision. And 
and to, to the level where there's a lot of people where they will do an IND and not put the person yeah. on antibiotics if yeah. they have no systemic symptoms. They say, well, you don't need it. Yeah. Just do the drainage and they're done yeah. and they're fine. And they're, there's some studies underway to prove that, you know, for significant infections that you actually don't even need antibiotics. So, so that was my issue as I was reading. I was like, oh, like I, I want to, I want to love this article more, but I feel like it's a little bit flawed in that sense. Yeah, that's fair. They did mention previous studies have commented on the burgeoning clindamycin resistance and yeah. adonjang infections with rates as high as 29%. I feel like we are becoming a little bit too dependent on clindamycin mm -hmm. because everyone that's penicillin allergic gets clindamycin. Yeah. It's important to, to mention to some people, maybe the residents don't know, or maybe some people have forgotten, but I do find this comes up. People with penicillin allergies, you can still give them cephalosporins, you know, ANSEF yeah. in the hospital. You can still give it to them. You know, the, when I was studying the, the cross allergy percentage rate was 20% at that point. Yeah. But it's and even then we would give it, yeah, we would give it to everyone because if they had a rash, unless it was like severe anaphylactic shock, then yeah. you're a little bit worried. But they were saying it's even lower than that. Like even 20% was super yeah. high. Like the incurrence of cross allergenicity is extremely low. So use the cephalosporins. They can be very, very helpful. Don't just go to clindamycin is what they're saying. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I would agree with that. I, I think a lot of people have even gone away from clindamycin. Yeah, altogether. like in our practice. That they won't very, even prescribe very, it. Very, very infrequently prescribed in our practice. So, Oscar, what would you give if they were like true allergy to penicillin? Then what do you normally use? So... Depends also what I'm doing too, right? Like, like you said, I'm not really giving it for wisdom teeth or anything like that. Like it's not in my protocol. Like, well, for back, I'm going to backtrack. Like, do you guys give your wisdom teeth routinely antibiotics? Yeah, I, 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 I personally do. Yeah. And so I only do chlorhexidine. Yeah. And so this has been, this has been spearheaded in our practice really by Chris Lee. He's like a research guy. He likes reading all the articles and stuff. I don't know if he likes yeah. it. I'm branding him as he likes reading articles. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But <laughs> but realistically, we're not really. So there's not that much antibiotics being given. So it depends. If you're doing if you're doing implants, maybe a little bit more. Still, clindamycin is given, but it's. I'm just saying you're you're using it very sporadically. Wow. Yeah. So your current protocol for wisdom teeth is no antibiotics before or afterwards. If it's funny because if if they're not allergic, I will give them a dose of amp like mm -hmm. just in the bag but that's it yeah yeah okay and honestly the studies have shown that the most important thing is the preoperative antibiotics yeah, yeah. so we give the preoperative antibiotics because that's the most important thing and the literature showed either do nothing or or just maybe give the pre-op it's really these long extended courses post-operatively that they're really kind of dissuade people against so brad are you not using clind at all i don't know if they're allergic i usually use omnicef which is cephid in there before yeah, generation, like, like, I gotta look that up after cephalosporin. Omnicef. What is that? That's it? not. It's it's not supposed to have the cross reactivity oh. that that other cephalosporins would have. Hey Brad, I'm gonna text you my shipping address after this podcast ends. You can just send me a oh. case of it, and he can drop <laughs> it. Off, and then Wendell can just yeah. drop it off at of my house. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to learn more about this topic, I think listening to next month's episode would be nice. Oh, there you go. There's a plug right there. Plug. Well, there's a little teaser right yeah. there. Yeah. Well done. Well done, Brad. All right. So overall, I like the article in the sense that it was, I like articles when it stimulates discussion, yeah. even if the article itself is not, you know, I I groundbreaking. I, I thought it was still good. Yeah. Overall. I thought it was going to say that I didn't, I couldn't predict the outcome. I thought it was going to say, yeah, that I thought people with the fake penicillin allergy label would be like way worse. I laugh. misread. Yeah. I would have bet for sure it was way worse. But then again, I went <laughs> yeah. back to the IND part and I'm like, mm, yeah, yeah. But I would have thought yeah. the same as you. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks to the authors for that article. Hopefully you enjoyed the journal club. The list of articles is always in the show notes if you want to check out the articles yourself. And with that, we'll move on to our final category, recommendations. 
So this month on recommendations, you know, I will say, Oscar, once again, my my list of things I'm watching is slowing down. One of the most common comments I got at the Quebec course was, I don't understand how you have so much time to watch things. And I think it's just a matter of a couple of things. The first thing is a lot of fast forwarding, as we talked about, <laughs> a lot of fast forwarding through certain scenes or kind of parts that you don't find, you know, entertaining. The other thing I would say is just finding time when a lot of other people maybe go on their phone or or just, I don't know, do other things. Like, for example, I'll often try and watch a, a show while eating lunch or in between cases. You're being Because sometimes like turnover is really slow. Yeah, just being efficient with your time. I'll often, you know, when I'm working out, put something on the TV. So that's, sometimes that helps as well. Mm -hmm. But it is it is getting harder and harder to find find time to watch as much as I'd like to. But definitely still cranking through enough. Also, we got enough content for this podcast. Like, if I don't watch anything, what, what are we going to talk about? I mean, we'll yeah. get to Oscar. We'll get to you say, later on. I'll say you're about to get to me right there. Yeah. We'll get to you later on. But so I wanted to touch on some recommendations. So on a previous show, you had recommended the show Beef Oscar. Mm -hmm. So it took me a while, but I finally finished watching with Bianca. Really enjoyed it. And the reason I enjoyed it was it was a funny show. It was interesting. But because I watched so much TV and so many movies, I told you, I find I can predict like 95% of plot lines, mm -hmm. twists. Yeah. bad guys, like, you know, storylines. Like, I just find TV so predictable in so many ways. Yeah. So when I watch a show that's really out there and not predictable, like, I couldn't predict the show at all. Yeah. Like, at no point did I ever understand what was going on. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoy it. Like, I like being tricked. I like being fooled. So I really enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. And I thought it was a good recommendation by you. I, I did mention Netflix is just, man, they're just posting, like, tons and tons and tons of movies from back in the day right now. Like, they're going through this phase of just buying out all this content. So... I'm going to memory lane and I watched like, for example, I rewatched the Austin Powers trilogy over the past few months. And I got to say, Mike Myers, I mean, these movies are hilarious. They obviously could never no, be made. They could never now. Never. But like, I'm realizing 95% of TV no, shows and movies could never sure. be made. Yeah. And but we wouldn't miss out on some funny the stuff. The problem is I find them so funny though. So it's like, but I don't think it's a big deal. Like you can find something funny and be like, well, it's, it, this is a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I acknowledge that this is not true in real life. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know what I mean? But oh man, I was I was just reminiscing on the Austin Power trilogy and like remember when I saw it for the first time back in the day. And it was a big deal when I was growing up. So I, I recommend if you haven't watched that trilogy, especially Mike Wire is a Canadian, you know. So I thought that was pretty good. And then on a like anti-recommendation, I watched the movie The Equalizer with Denzel Washington. I don't know if either of you have seen is this that. new or old? Because that sounds so, old. I think like the, the newest I think one it's is like the, the third, third oh, okay. one just came saying, out. I was like, there's a new one, but I'm like, I think the, the equalizer itself is not new. The right. new one just came out, but I'm talking about the first one because I never watched any of them. So obviously I'm not going to start with the third one. I'm going to start yeah, with yeah, the yeah. first one. And it's basically like the movie Taken, but worse. Mm. Like, have you seen the movie Taken with Liam yeah, Neeson? Yeah, yeah. I have yeah, a specific set of skills. Yeah, exactly. I have a certain set of skills. Like. <laughs> That's one of the best. Like, that's a really, really good movie. Except like, he's chop I, he chops too many people there where there's like back chop. Like, maybe not doing anything with that. So, but so you didn't like it? This. I didn't like it. No, I found it. It didn't. It was too long. I do like Logic Denzel though. I love Denzel. Okay, fine. Okay, okay so then that makes me. I, and that's the thing is, I love Denzel. Yeah. I think he's a really good actor. He's one of my okay. favorite actors. I think it's wow. phenomenal. Okay, in so many movies, I really like it. But this one, I was like, mm, hmm. doesn't really make logical sense. It took way too long to build up. There were some great scenes. Don't get me wrong, but. But overall, I would much prefer, I would tell someone, listen, if you're looking for an action movie, go watch Taken or go watch like John Wick, the first one. Don't yeah. watch The Equalizer. I wouldn't recommend it. Okay. Are you going to watch two or three though? No, I'm not going to watch two or three. Okay. If I don't like the first one, I'm sorry, I'm done. So mine, it's funny you brought it up. I, you had told me before, 
because I, every show you talk about, but you used before, I'd be like, yeah, I watched it. Or <laughs> yeah, you watched everything. I was like, there's no show you could have picked that I hadn't watched if it was popular and up to date, right? Like it was like, I don't know, one of your old school ones, I probably hadn't seen it, but anything that was recent, I would have seen it already. You said, oh, wait till you have a kid. I was like, oh, no. I watch so little TV now, it's crazy. So when I when it mm. comes time to think of, well, what am I going to recommend? I think, oh, I got a whole another month. I'm going to watch something. And then I get to the end of the month and I'm like, I haven't watched like, so I haven't watched anything. Like, what am I going to recommend? So my question about that is, your kid's still very young. And I did find when the kids are young, a lot of it's like holding them or watching them while they're sleeping or trying to figure out that's good. So yeah. can you can you watch TV? No, like, so like, so 100% you're right. The issue is, it's not that I can't necessarily watch TV is, and we may be crazy parents, we might say you guys are nuts, is, we really don't want to have screens on while he's around because he gets so distracted. Like he's still little, he's six months. I turn yeah. the screen on, he looks like an owl. His head will rotate 100 <laughs> degrees toward the screen. And yeah. I just don't really want him doing that. So we we kind of talk a lot more with Lex or we're just hanging out and we're interacting with him. So that's why. If I really wanted to, yes. He sits and he's a little baby, right? Like I can watch as much TV as I want. Yeah. We're actively choosing not to. But what I will recommend, and I kind of what that has led us to is, we've started really getting because we're not not say i wouldn't say wasting time because if you're watching tv and you enjoy it, you're not wasting time but mm -hmm. we started to enjoy people's company more right like we are not before on the weekends we'd be like oh let's just watch a show and let's just take it easy right or like that would be like we're gonna binge through a show you knew how much we used to do that yeah and we, we don't really do that now now it's like okay let's set up let's go meet up with our friends that we haven't seen for a month or mm. on this weekend we went out for dinner with all the partners from from crescent celebrating the new surgeons that joined Oh, and wow. we're much more engaged in doing things like that. Experiences in your own little bubble, just seeing your friends, seeing your family more. And we've really enjoyed that. Like cutting out TV time or screen time has allowed us to prioritize things that we maybe would have just passed on before. Are you guys like a walking couple? You know, some couple go oh, for like walks. Buddy, like if my, like my step count at work compared to my step count like when I get home is just completely night and day. We're out walking all the time. And I love walking. Outside. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brad, are you a walker with Diana? Oh, yeah. We have a dog, so we walk him probably oh, four or five times a day. He gets, um, like, my wife's got him on a schedule, like, 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, <laughs> 2 o'clock, 5 That sounds like my child's eating <laughs> schedule, like, literally. Yeah. And then after every eat feet, yeah. we go for a walk. Oh, yeah. As soon as I get done with this, I'm going to go walk the dog again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go wake up my child and pay him for a walk, yeah. too. Yeah. Hey, Oscar, are you still listening to the Huberman podcast? So... It's funny. I would listen to him when I was mainly when I was working out. And yeah. then I thought I was fit and young, like, and like, clearly I'm not. Uh, after I got, like, after I was 35, it's, it's like it's been downhill. I get so many injuries now. So I've been doing it. I was running. After the first five episodes, I haven't ran again because my calf pretty much exploded. So I was like, okay, we're not doing that. But as soon as I start right. running, I will continue. Have you listened to it? I haven't, but it came up a lot at the Zygoma course. Of between him oh, and Peter and Tia, everyone was talking about those two. What's up with this Peter and Tia guy? And they're like, oh, we listen to that. That's why we don't listen to Peter and Tia. Apparently, if we get this Peter and Tia guy on our podcast, I have no idea who he is. I don't but know. apparently, if we get him on our podcast, I try. Apparently, it'll like, he said no. Oh, he doesn't. That's, I mean, I didn't formally reach out to him, but I went and figured out how to do it. And it was like wall yeah. after wall after wall. Like, <laughs> he's not into it. Oh, I've never, oh, he's Canadian. That's our one chance. Because apparently if we get it, apparently, so, Canadian you know, we hit a big milestone. Now I was going to tell you guys, we hit a big milestone. We hit the 25,000 listen, listener, listens, Mark, play, yeah, Mark, whatever. Listen to yeah, 25,000. Yeah. So that's a nice. huge, huge yeah. deal. Huge accomplishment for us. 
But apparently, if we get this Peter Tia guy, it sounds like we'd be at like 100 G's like instantly. Oh, he's a, he, oh, he's from education, Queen's University and Stanford University. He's like the lang- longevity doctor. This guy's Canadian and he's yeah. in education. Brad, I don't accept your excuses. Why can't you get this guy? I haven't given up, but I, I, I get Nasser on this. I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Nasser, if you get Peter Atia to be on our podcast, Brad is Brad, you can have, you, yeah, Brad will become your assistant. <laughs> Yeah, it's a race. And if Nasser beats you, Brad, he's taking away your mic. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I'm, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> no, it's funny you mention that because I do find couples that walk together or go on walks. I think it's a very, very healthy thing to do. Not only fresh air, exercise, but like you're forced to just talk and like, you know, discuss your day and like connect and stuff like that. My parents, my parents walked for sure every single night, like their entire lives and sometimes twice a day. I love that. I can't stand walking. Like, I'm no, sorry. I hate. Oh, I hate walking. I'll tell you, the other benefit is I really, you know, it's a very big, ends up being a big social event. And I got to, we don't have kids, so Mm -hmm. I get to know, see all the neighbor kids, play basketball with the neighbor kids or a random soccer game will break out. Yeah, yeah. It's unexpected fun. That's awesome. Okay, where do you live? Pleasantville? Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) Random soccer games break out. Pleasantville. Like, that is amazing. (laughs) I'm moving, I'm moving to your town. That's that's where I want to live. <laughs> yeah, no, I I mean that's a recommendation. You know, going for walks. Yeah, well, so I, I didn't other. say go for walks. You made that a recommendation. I yeah, but, you, but, you, but you're a, uh, you're a believer, right? I am, but I I take that for sure. But my, my recommendation is more. I would say make time for people that matter in your life because it does it adds joy to it. Like that's what we've realized. We've been really really happy lately. We've been seeing a lot of people. Well, actually, we'll see you guys soon too. We should we should set up that up. I'm talking. Oh, about- no, I was just gonna say I'm, this I'm, guy's. I'm, I'm, this guy's hey, recommendation is. I'm talking to Brad, not you. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Brad, this guy's Oscar's recommendation you know is spend more time with the people you love. This guy's been inviting me over in like <laughs> seven months. But you know what the best part is? Everyone's invited me. Everyone. Yeah. I haven't made any of you plans myself. I've just said <laughs> yes to plans. Mr. Popular, look at yeah. you. Yeah. So that's my recommendation. That's a good one. Well, uh, we hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening. We we appreciate all our listeners. And we appreciate you guys giving us feedback. Once again, we said we really love the fan mail this episode. This was awesome. We really enjoy it. So teeth and titanium OMFS at gmail.com. You can literally email us anything and we'll probably respond or read it or talk about it, especially if it's funny. Uh, so we appreciate all our listeners. Thanks to everyone. Thanks to Brad. Thanks to Oscar. It was great catching up with you guys. And we will see you guys next time. Take care, guys.